here we are. The first podcast in December. And why not start this month off right with the Christmas song? This is Benji Phonic. A very Benji Christmas. Together to a Christmas song. Yo, yo. Christmas is that time of the year. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Everybody getting high on holiday December 24th, I needed a gift. Driving real fast with that Tokyo drift. When a red cool vet took my spot and I thought, I'm gonna get into a fight in a shopping mall parking lot. Dude jumped out, man, he was fly. Had a red suede suit with a sparkle in his eye. He said, Saintly persuasion, and I need a little help with some home invasions. Holy nutcrackers, it was Santa Claus. Jimmy said, I need an MC to ride with me. So I jumped right in, and Santa gave me the business. Tonight, you're gonna learn the true meaning of Christmas. Willow, you know, 
looking in her face as I closed the door of the car. Is she going to be okay? Is somebody going to find her? Is somebody going to love her? It was windy, it was cold, and as I put my hands on the rail and started to get up there, and I could just hear Willow barking. Now, it would have been impossible because this is so far away, but in my mind, I could hear her calling me back. Welcome to Chit and Chat, the encouraging one of the podcast. As promised, each and every week, we have uplifting, fun conversations with people from all over the world. Today, my guest is the author of the book called Breakfast at Sally's, One Man's Inspirational Journey, and a book which he received both local and national attention. The autobiography stories chronicles a man's journey wandering the streets of Bremerton, Washington, He was sleeping in church parking lots and parks and finding warm food and acceptance at the local Salvation Army chapter. His story is powerful and inspirational. In his book, he shares about his companion, his dog Willow, as he befriends a cast of characters who, despite their flaws, are fundamentally lovable and challenge the stereotypical view of the homeless. This really is a remarkable, powerful, written, inspiring book, and somehow frequently quite funny at times. A must-read for the of homeless determination and redemption. I had a chance a number of years ago to meet Richard Lemieux, and we had a great conversation. And this interview, we actually were at Johnny's Coffee in Silverdale, Washington. So you'll hear a little ambient background music. So get back and relax. This is Richard Lemieux here on the Chin Chat Encouraging One Another Podcast. I'm with uh, Richard Lemieux today on Chin Chat Encouraging One Another Podcast. I'm going to talk about his book and his journey. And I'm so excited to have him on and dive in some fun, great conversations. Before we dive into some great conversations, I like to ask five icebreaker questions. And they're, this little portion is brought to you by Dekiza. Tequiza is a taco shop in the mall here. Oh, great. They have five kinds of tacos. So I based it on five questions. There you go. Do you, great. Do you love some tacos? Uh, yes, of course. Uh, but you mean travels, you probably had a, a good variety of tacos. Everywhere. <laughs> I've gone around the, around the country on with uh, the tacos. Uh, what food, for question number one, what food do you love the most that people might find a little odd? Well, I'm, uh, uh, I'm now 79 years old. So... Uh, I vary my, here's how I do my food. I have fish one night, uh, steak the next night, chicken the next night, uh, maybe a pork sandwich, uh, but I try and keep a variety. I like to cook myself at home. Uh, After traveling so much, uh, I ate at so many different restaurants (laughs) everywhere from the Waldorf, Osteria, New York, 
to a hamburger shop uh, to a hot dog with some homeless people in a park. Oh, so, wow. Uh, the, uh, I, I like to cook oh. salmon at home. Okay. And, uh, Homemade uh, Southern food. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's good. yeah. Just make make my stuff. Yeah. There you go. Uh, what's your earliest childhood memory you remember? A few Ooh. years ago. <laughs> well, it's, uh, I, uh, it's pretty good actually. You know, at, at age seventy nine, I'm always amazed how I can remember something that's going clear back. But I remember I grew up in a little town called Urbana, Ohio, which is right about forty minutes from Columbus. Okay. But it's a town of about eleven thousand people. Uh, and I do remember getting on my bike and uh, going fishing in the factory pond with my buddies, Dennis Phillips. And I, I'd say that's like, uh, gosh, we had to be about nine or ten years old. Wow. Maybe. And uh, uh, so uh, back in those days, uh, it was really interesting because uh, kids could get on their bicycles and go to a pond yeah. uh, and go fishing by themselves. Uh, and uh, have a good time and catch little crappies or little bluegills. Yep. And uh, I remember the process uh, so much uh, because that's uh, as little kids we had. And I'm actually writing another book. It's a novel which is called Going Back to Factory Pond. Oh wow! Uh, and a little sneak peek. Yeah. It's, uh, so, but I do remember that. I, I and that's about where I where I go back as far as I can go. But you know, every once in a while you'll have a flashback with something when you do something. Uh, I used to go catch minnows uh, for fishing yep. in a little uh, creek. Uh, and one time I uh, uh, had a jar, I had a, a jar, and I put it down into the water to hit a rock and I cut myself and I can still see a little oh. scar where it's there. So that was about the same time, eight or nine years old. So uh, and I compare that to today <laughs> where you don't see little kids on bikes running yeah, around no. and, and with fishing poles on their back. Yep. Uh, I, and I can remember having my uh, uh, bicycle ch uh, jeans getting caught in the chains. Chains, yep, yep. Yeah, so those are all wonderful memories uh, in, in many ways. And it's in my new book uh, nice. when I get it finished. Yeah, I grew up in Arkansas. We went fishing a lot. I yeah. had my own crickets. I had yeah. my, own, my own worms. Dug your own yep, worms. Yep, yep, yep. And, uh, my dad was a big fisherman, so and my yep. grandparents were fishermen, so we right. always, always on the lake. Yep. And we uh, used I to miss get, those days. We used to take a, a, a rope, actually, or a, like a, a real cheap uh, stringer, and we'd fill that thing up with sunfish, you know, rock, crappies and yep. bluegill, and we'd take them home, and my mother says, you got to you eat those things. You got to clean them all. <laughs> and of course, each each little fish had about one bite, <laughs> one or two bites. <laughs> uh, the question number three: If you have your own talk show, you can invite anyone on your talk show, living or deceased. Who would you be your first couple of guests that you love and just have to sit down and just talk to? Well, I, w I wish they were. I wish they were still alive. But Robin Williams would be oh, my yeah, number, yeah. number one guy to oh, talk yeah. to about it, a lot of things. Oh my goodness! Uh, and of course, in politics, I would like to sit down and talk to Barack Obama. Okay. Uh, those would be my my two. One in politics. One uh, one in one in a different type of yeah. uh, politics. Yep. Uh, and those are the I would say my, my top two. Okay. Yeah. If you could add another face to Mount Rushmore, you had the four already. Who would you add? Another face up there with them. Well, you know, uh, with the knowledge I have about Mount Rushmore and the issues of our uh, our uh, current day of woke and other mm -hmm. things that go along with that, uh, I, I uh, it's a I, I don't think I'd add anybody. Okay. I, uh, of course, if it was absolutely necessary. Uh, <laughs> Uh, any way possible, I would uh, 
maybe maybe put Barack Obama on there because he was our quote first black president uh, and uh, 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 but you know that is a uh, a monument of the, of the past mm -hmm. uh, where you were you know uh, being I graduated when I graduated from Ohio State I had a teaching degree and okay. I was uh, going to become a high school teacher oh well. Uh, of history and social studies, but uh, because I was a good athlete in high school and in college, I got an opportunity to be a sports writer oh. in Springfield, Ohio, which at that time was 150,000 people or more actually, uh, and it was a big newspaper. We had eight, eight, eight sports writers on our staff. We used wow. to, yeah, I used to cover uh, all kinds of things, and uh, uh, and because of that history knowledge, though, going back to the reason I mentioned that. There's so much about monuments nowadays. There's the Washington Monument. Uh, when you, I mean, if you've ever been to Washington D.C. for anything, I would, never have been. I would suggest during your lifetime <laughs> get a chance to go. And, I had and, lined up a guest uh, in January. He uh, does the uh, the uh, Unknown Soldier. He oh yeah, he okay. coordinates that. So oh, that's I'm wonderful. really excited to talk to that person. Yeah. And I, that's my goal. I'd love to go there. Yeah. My dad was a uh, Vietnam uh, veteran in the Army. I was in the Navy. So yeah. I think for uh, hopefully. Full way for right. you know I I I can pass I would love to go see the Tomb of Unknown Soldier. Yeah, that'd, that'd be that, that'd be that so would, powerful. That would be well worth it. I mean, the Lincoln Memorial uh, is is a, a a beautiful moment. I suggest you go at night mm. uh, when the lights are so oh, well. up. But but yeah. So to answer that question, uh, maybe someday uh, they'll put put another face on there, and uh, you know, I, when I grew up, when I went to. Uh, I went to, first of all, when I graduated from high school, I went to Urbana College. Then I went to Wilmington College, played one year of football there. Then I transferred to Ohio State. Uh, and uh, the, the issue of that uh, process was that uh, Wilmington College was a little Quaker school hmm. down in southern Ohio. And uh, uh, there were a, still a lot of racial issues in that part of mm -hmm. then. And if you know, uh, in 1961 I graduated. 61 I graduated from high school, and uh, at, at that time there were black football players on my team, so I had no prejudice, so right. to speak. Yeah. But when I first ran into it, realizing that in 1964 and 65, Ohio State could not go play, uh, say Texas, wow. or Alabama, wow. or Mississippi, or Mississippi State, or uh, many of those uh, southern schools, mm -hmm. as a sports writer, I saw it uh, because they had black players and, wow. and the, the racial and, and sports as a whole yeah. was one of the elements that today, if you go back to when I graduated from <laughs> high school and college, <laughs> if, if Alabama did have a black player, which they didn't, but they would say, oh, look at that, and use the N-word. Right, right. Uh, where today, they're happy to have as many black players as they yeah. got because they are superior in many, yeah. many cases. They're very gifted, uh, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, in many cases. I still love that movie, uh, Men of the Titans, and with that's Coach Boone, and that's just a powerful movie, and yeah. I'd love to, have to see some of those guys, have some of those guys on who played those characters. That's right. This is so powerful. Yeah, and, and, and you look at it, and uh, uh, even in government today, uh, there are few uh, uh, black people that are in the Congress or the Senate as mm -hmm. one. Uh, uh, and Barack Obama, getting back to that subject of the mm. monuments. And you mentioned sports writing. You mentioned sports writing. Yeah. What's one of those biggest sports events you remember writing? You know, doing 
Well, I covered, uh, working at that kind of newspaper, I covered everything from uh, uh, dog shows to <laughs> boxing in Cincinnati. Okay. Uh, AAU boxing was okay. a big deal in oh, Cincinnati, wow. Cincinnati, Louisville. Uh, I did cover the Cincinnati Reds, and I uh, was there when they had uh, Johnny Bench the and Pete Rose. The Red Machine. Big right? Red Machine yeah. when they won the World Series, uh, which was probably uh, as good as it gets. Uh, but I also covered what they call, it. I covered uh, tennis. I, call it, I covered junior tennis. Uh, and because of that, there were big tournaments. One of them was a big tournament. Uh, it was called the Western Open Championships for Juniors. So I interviewed Jimmy Connors when he was 16 and 18 years old, and John McEnroe when he was 16 wow. years old. And I covered the uh, first two or three years before I moved of the uh, APT uh, uh, tennis tournament in uh, uh, Cincinnati, Ohio, okay. when Jimmy Connors and John McEnroe were then growing up boys. Wow, they were older, we'll put it that way. Do you have a favorite yeah. athlete you had, you had a chance to talk with? Uh, oh gosh, you know, I w would say that uh, Johnny Bench, I interviewed Johnny Bench and Pete Rose, uh, uh, but I also, uh, although he wasn't a participant at that particular time, he, he uh, uh, was a, uh, uh, trying to bring uh, black, uh, uh, Arthur Ashe was trying to bring black players mm. into tennis, which now of course you see. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, back in those days, it was a country club thing, yeah. as was golf. Uh, and so I'd say that I interviewed Arthur Ashe when he brought uh, boys from the South to play in those types of tennis. Wow. Uh, so it was a, 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 and in a station wagon, by the way. <laughs> Four or five of them in a station wagon. But I've, I've been in, my parents had a station wagon with the paneling <laughs> on the side. Oh, yeah. That was it. Great in, memories. And it was interesting how, uh, you know, I, I never saw him play, but, but I, it was interesting uh, how he talked about uh, tennis at the time mm -hmm. and saying things like, someday pro tennis is going to be really big. Yeah. Because at that time, it was amateurs. Yeah. They were all amateurs. Uh, uh, if you go back, uh, the Australian players were some of the best tennis players in the world. Uh, when they played in the champion, when they played in championships, they were amateurs, uh, and uh, it took a long time for that to grow to what it is today. And now it's you know it's worldwide. Uh, <laughs> yeah, professionals. Uh, last question: If you go anywhere in the world just for a few days, or rest, rest and relaxation, some R and R, where are you going? Well, you know, I've, I've been very fortunate when I had a business where I uh, had uh, wonderful trips uh, because I had a lot of money. And so I went to Greece and went to Santorini and uh, Mykonos Island and places like that. Also went to Italy and uh, went to Venice three times, uh, went to uh, Rome, uh, went to Paris. And because of my aunt, now you, your question is, well, I want to relax. Yes. <laughs> I would go to Greece, okay. uh, because number one, it's a really laid-back country, okay. not crowded uh, like Rome or Paris is. I would go, to, uh, I would go there, but I'd also, uh, in my time, now this has been 17 years ago or 16 years ago, uh, when I went to Paris in the spring, uh, and uh, if you go to Paris in the spring, everything is. Uh, just coming out of its uh, cocoon okay. and it's beautiful. Oh, nice. So it's a city. Where Greece, nah, no city. Uh, relax. <laughs> you you're relax. on the water though. I'm sure you're getting the Oh, yeah. The there, yeah, there's, there's, oh. yeah. There's beautiful beaches. I mean, uh, a, a great, great healthy food of all kinds. Lots of goat cheese and stuff like that. Mm. Uh, and of course, uh, uh, 
you you can get a book and find a spot and just relax all day. That's cool. Before we, we dive into a great conversation today, you got your book with you and you showed me your book and you've been all over the world and you've had all kinds of people autograph your book. Who was the very first person to autograph your book? The, uh, the very first person to actually actually autograph my book and, and I was, uh, I, I was uh, invited to come and speak in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, uh, when the book first came out in the first week, uh, and the reason was is that uh, I was involved as, of course, Breakfast of Sally's is the Salvation Army. Mm-hmm. And early on, when this book first came out in a hardcover edition, uh, the Salvation Army bought 7,000 copies of this book to give to all their big spenders, and they, they shipped them around the country. And so the book had just come out, and uh, I was in New York City uh, doing a book signing. Uh, and a couple on a couple radio and TV shows uh, and the, the guys who arranged for that uh, was was a company uh, uh, that uh, had did that and so they uh, asked me they said well, we just got a call from because they worked with the Salvation Army a lot uh, so we just got a call from Columbus Ohio and they have a major cancellation of a speaker and so uh, we can fly you over there, and you can uh, you can go uh, uh, you, can, you can go speak. And I said, "Well, cool, and, and I'll pay you two thousand five hundred dollars to be a sp- for a speaking event." Okay. <laughs> and, and so I said, "Well, okay." So they got me over there, and they went with me actually. And uh, and the first uh, when I, so I had my book, uh, and uh, they set me up at a table in a front place right there, and uh, uh, the next person to come sit down was John Glenn, the astronaut, former astronaut okay. who's passed away, and his wife Annie, and uh, they sat down right next to me, and uh, I, and I had a little dog with me, yep, who was yep, still alive, yep. and uh, so there I had my book, and I said, uh, after, we t- after we talked and stuff, because he was going, he introduced me, Okay. and uh, so uh, uh, it was very interesting, so I wanted I wanted him to get my signature. So he signed my book, <laughs> and I thought, well, there's a good reason to have people sign it wherever I go. There you so, go. Uh, that's that was it. Uh, could you give the, the, some of the, the audience man know who you are? A little brief bio. I have some other questions all about Willow and what yeah. you've gone through, but a little bio about yourself. Well, uh, again, I grew up in Ohio, mm-hmm. uh, in the Midwest, uh, with mid- my mom and dad. Uh, uh, if you read my book, my mom and dad had uh, some things in their life that really affected them greatly. Uh, two of their children died, uh, uh, and one baby was stolen when they lived in Chicago. Chicago was actually stolen by, by the babysitter and, and wow. never saw her again. Uh, so while I was there as a little child, and her, they moved from Chicago because of the, because of that, they, the memories were too strong. So they moved to Urbana, Ohio, small little town, from Chicago to Urbana. Uh, and I was spoiled as a child because uh, they were always worried about, are we going to lose this one too? Mm-hmm. Uh, but they were smart enough too to realize that uh, they needed me to experience childhood. So I, that's the reason I brought up the, I the, talked about the fishing yep, thing. Yep. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm sure my mom and dad said when I left on my bicycle with a fishing pole over my shoulder with my buddies, they probably thought, oh God, you know, I hope he can come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. Over time, uh, uh, I, that I, I went. As I said, uh, I was a good high school athlete. I broke the 100-yard dash uh, 
Oh, wow. Uh, ten point, uh, at that time it was dash, so 10.3 <laughs> at my high school. Uh, and I was on the winning relay team that uh, went to the regional championships uh, when it ran in the 220 and the 440. And so uh, I had a taste of sports. Uh, and because of that, uh, I got a job. Uh, my first real job, if you want to call it that, was uh, offered to me by the uh, local newspaper there who also opened up a 1,000 watt radio station. Uh, 10,000 watt radio station, little, they're little. 10,000 yeah. okay. small radio station. From the town, basically? Yeah, in the okay. town. Yeah. Well, in the rest of, I mean, once you got for the next town, you're pretty out of Yeah, yeah. <laughs> fuzzy. But <it's> small. <laughs> but anyway, I got a job uh, as a sports, the sports director. That's cool. Uh, which also worked on Saturday, playing uh, music on Saturday morning, too. But, uh, and when I say that, I got to cover high, a lot of high school sports, as a sport, high school basketball, high school football. Uh, and uh, after doing that, uh, if you will, uh, after, after I got out of college, of course, and did that, uh, then I uh, was, uh, was going to be a teacher uh, because I was so interested in that uh, before I got the sports job. And then after I got the sports job, then, uh, I wasn't making enough money, so I went to a bigger town, okay. which was Springfield, and I ended up getting a sports writing job there, uh, and I did that for 17 years. Uh, and so, uh, sports writing uh, <clears throat> in that particular day uh, was not as uh, negative as today. Mm -hmm. You, when you, if you covered, I mean, if, you, if the Seahawks were quote playing, you know, they were, uh, uh, you know, well, let's go to Ohio State. You never criticize Woody Hayes right. as a coach. Yeah, uh, that's right. in the Bible. That's how, no. Right. You know, yeah. Sports writers never said Woody's well, a bad coach. We need to get rid of. Him. Yep, yep. Uh, you know that wasn't a part of it. If, if uh, the, uh, the same with uh, uh, a lot of that, just uh, just wasn't it was advantageous, and you wanted to build up uh, the, the athletes. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. if they lost, oh, you know, well, we'll win the next time. Yep. You know. Uh, and uh, it's nobody's fault, you know, it's not, uh, well, this kid did drop five passes. Well, you, you just didn't focus on all right. that. So, uh, and I really enjoyed doing that for 17 years, uh, covering uh, every, like everything from sports, from tennis to, to golf. And, uh, and, and, but after 17 years, I got tired of it. Now, and I also, uh, being very honest, I had a divorce. And because of that divorce, uh, uh, and the issues that went along with it, I had an opportunity to move, uh, which, which was great because I had traveled around the world a little bit because of sports, mm -hmm. around at least around the United States because of sports, and I knew places that, that I liked to go. Uh, I was an avid snow skier too, uh, and I liked New Mexico because I liked uh, the warm weather there. All right. Uh, for skiing, <laughs> uh, you're going to you know for in Taos, New Mexico, you're yeah, you can. Within 15 minutes, you can see it being some of the best skiing ever. And the same with the other places I went. Okay. And so, uh, but the end result was I had a friend of mine whose father had a business in Seattle. And uh, so I moved here, there. Okay. And, and uh, uh, 1980 is when I moved there. Seattle was sort of sleepy. <laughs> well, quiet. Yeah, it was sleepy at that time. It was a sleepy town, sleepy city, uh, uh, more or less. Uh, and so, I mean, you could literally drive from one end of Seattle to the other uh, uh, on 3rd or 4th or 5th Street in all the way University District. Wow. Uh, and with no problems. Not today. It's, it's Before or after Mount St. Helens? 
Yeah, after. after okay. April, right okay. after. Right after. Okay. Actually, uh, within six months. Six wow. Months. And so, uh, after that, I, I uh, uh, luckily, in many cases, uh, <laughs> looking for jobs mm -hmm. uh, because the one that his my friend's father had was selling insurance, and I looked at it real close and decided I, I don't think I want to do that. But I did get some opportunities, and so uh, one of the first opportunities that got me on the right in, in, into other doors was I got a job as a fundraiser for the Republican Party. Oh wow! Uh, for Ronald Reagan, <laughs> uh, and uh, so I did that for a little bit, and that opened my door to, because I met all kinds of people. Mm -hmm. You know uh, what you do. You know, I mean, you as a fundraiser, you're going to people who own car dealerships and yep. say, "Last year you gave us." This five thousand or ten thousand or twenty thousand. So now we need more, you know. And so, uh, as you can see, all the money's been spent in this past. Yeah, uh, it's insane. Yeah. So <laughs> money is the is the, the food for politics. Yep. So yep. I did that, and I and that, because I met other people, I got a job as, as a regional manager for a company called Data National, uh, and Data National did all kinds of medical directories mm -hmm. and student directories nationwide and so as that uh, as a regional manager I did that for about a year and th and then they decided they didn't want to do that anymore huh. so they uh, we had contracts with I had a contract with the University of Washington which had to be fulfilled and also a contract with the state medical association that had to be fulfilled yeah, yeah. and because of that I just took it over here right in in Seattle and so I did that for uh, 14 years before uh, the, my business failed, and that and that's one reason I ended up being homeless. Yep. Uh, uh, and when my business failed, I ended up uh, uh, having to get rid of my employees, uh, get rid of my leave my uh, waterfront home uh, yeah. with in depression and suicidal, uh, with no sense of direction and fear of life and fear of. Uh, everything yeah you kind of lost your home your family uh, all the, whole, the whole nine yards the whole thing yeah which uh you know there's a there's a psychologist and psychiatrist will tell you this if you lose if you lose your home you lose your business especially when you're Successful. 60 years old you're 50 right. 60 years right. old, yeah. and you travel all over the world and you've had all this money and you lose your family all those things pretty soon, like the, the, the first, road's getting shorter and shorter. When you get to, yeah, when you lose all, the top five, which I did, you've lost it all, and you, you don't want to live. Right. And and especially that's the reason why Japanese men, when they their business fail, will jump off the top of the building, you know, or put put a knife in their heart, mm -hmm. you know, because uh, they don't have nothing to live for. So you were homeless for a number of years. How many years Three. were you homeless? Three. Yeah. In that time. What did you learn? What did you gather? Did you learn experiences from other people? And well, yes. First of all, most importantly, I say here's what I learned. First of all, I never ever expected to be homeless. I would always had a job. I'd always had success in that job, mm -hmm. I mean, covering top athletes, coming out, and getting a business just or handed in my lap. Right. Uh, and then after that. Uh, ended up on the street. So I'd gone from meeting people who had a lot of money and worked with people who had a lot of money to people who had nothing. And so the first thing I learned was that makes no difference. Uh, people, are, people, homeless people are wonderful. Homeless people have problems. 
uh, so do people have money. Yeah. There are, uh, there have been in the history of time or in our society, uh, modern day business people and stuff like that, who are, are uh, quite frankly very ruthless yep. uh, and uh, would fire you in a heartbeat. Uh, let's take Donald Trump for example. If you came, if you were working for him and you did what he considered the wrong thing, he'd fire you in a New York minute, which mm -hmm. he's done for people, done done to people. Right. And there are other people too, not just Donald Trump, but uh, yeah. other. Uh, I mean, just what today, uh, Meta, whatever that is. Uh, just laid off 11,000 people. Mm -hmm. We live in a society where... Uh, irreplaceable. You're irreplaceable. And so I met a lot of people who are in my book, uh, from C to Gentleman J to uh, uh, so many, that as I saw them, again, uh, covering tennis and, and golf and baseball, Johnny Bench and Pete Rose and those guys, what I saw was a story, mm -hmm. yeah. a story that I was involved in. I was homeless, but I didn't see these people as worthless, although I saw myself as worthless, <clears throat> suicidal and worthless. But I saw them and I thought, you know, they, they, they're good people. You know, I saw drug addicts then, you know. I could have told you then in 19, well, whatever it was, 19, not, I'm sorry, 2005 or whatever the year I first became homeless. I could have told you right then that you're going to have a huge homeless population everywhere in the United States because I, the stories of how they got there, yeah, uh, loss of job, loss of loss of home, uh, loss of wife, loss of family. Uh, some had been and many had been uh, in the, in the military. Yep. They had been in Vietnam. Uh, they'd been in Mogadishu, uh, they'd been in uh, Iraq. And all these people I yeah. met uh, were affected by those parts of our society and they could never get back. And so uh, I learned it can happen to anyone and, and there's not a lot of help. You know, there, you, you're not, there, there's not a lot of help. A lot of programs and whatnot. I, uh, even I mean today is the same as then. It's back. You're going back. Uh, uh, when I first became homeless, and ended up in Bremerton, Washington. Uh, the Salvation Army had a had a breakfast and lunch, uh, five days a week, uh, and that's it. Okay. Uh, if you had a car, if you were lucky, you still have a car, which I did. Yeah, yeah. Which I uh, You got gas, fifteen dollars a year. Wow. A year. Wow. Uh, there was Kitsap Community Resources, which is just basically in the past, you know, just started really in the, in the time period there. Same with them. If you had a car, $15 in gas for the year. Wow. Uh, churches had dinners. There was a, in, at that time, you're going back, uh, what, 18 years ago now, or 15, whatever it is, uh, there was a, uh, a dinner out by the Lutheran Church, out by the fairgrounds. There was a, a dinner on Tuesday night. A dinner on Wednesday night at the Lutheran Church up on uh, in Bremerton. Nothing on Thursday. So just getting connected with these places so you get a right. hot meal. Well, you can get food, important. right? Right, right. And clothes too. I mean, uh, really. And uh, but I learned uh, because I was communicative. I could. I still had this ability to. I learned I could get a shower at the Y. It cost three dollars, but if I had no money, I'd go in and say, I had no money, 
or can I get cleaned up? Right. And they say yes, no problem. Wow. And so uh, uh, I learned to survive, uh, try and get clean when I could, uh, get food where I could, and almost within six months after becoming homeless, I started to write notes to myself okay. about the people that I saw in my thoughts. Okay. And so there was the beginning of the book. Yeah, and unlike some people who were homeless, had nobody. You had a little companion with you along the way. Yeah. When did you and Willow meet? Did you have Willow for right. a while? Or when, you... uh, 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 it's it sort of the, one of the last straws of the process uh, when uh, things were really going bad. Uh, and Willow was your dog, so Willow, people were listening to Willow. My, Willow. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Willow's my dog. Uh, but my wife at the time, she uh, could not stand what was happening. And so she had a sister family down in Texas. And so she came to me and she said, I can't, I, I can't become homeless. I can't watch this anymore. Mm -hmm. and so I'm going to move. I'm leaving. Okay. And uh, I ended up with a dog. Okay. And so the dog, uh, when I, I remember uh, distinctly pulling away from my home for the last time with my dog in the front seat of the car. Uh, and we then, uh, my dog was my, uh, my buddy, my, my friend. Uh, and I had to get her food. I had to take care of her, make sure she got out to the parks and stuff like that. Yep. And so she was always by my side uh, and uh, something to live for. Something to live for. All right. That Something that cared about me, that loved me and I loved it. And it wasn't going anywhere. It wasn't getting on a car yeah. going yeah. to Texas. Okay? <laughs> it wasn't, uh, I had offered money. It's, there's a story in my book about how I was offered money for the book. For your dog? Yeah, for my oh, dog. Wow. Uh, $2,000. Wow. And I said, no way. I'm homeless, but someone says, no. I'll buy that dog for $2,000. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. I kept her. Wow. So, uh, to me, it was a, a lifeline. But how did she help you during this time of homelessness? Did you, did you kind of just, when you were like just depressed, you'd look at your dog going, you know what? Life's not that bad. <laughs> I've gone through hard times. But I have a companion with me who is with you know. Right. And to these, what's so interesting is I did have a, a van, remember now, so I had wheels. A lot of homeless people that I knew had nothing like that. They had no, they lost a car a long time ago. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, uh, so during that time period of three years, I never got insurance from a car, I never had tabs or anything else, you know. But I, uh, but I, but I was known. Uh, people would say, well, there's a church dinner tonight, uh, Saturday night at Mrs. People's Diner, which is uh, in the bottom of the Episcopal Church every Saturday and Sunday. And could you come and get me? I'm living in the woods here with the other three or four people. Okay. So if you get people and go get a hot meal. So I got <laughs> five or six, seven people in my van, and we're going to the hot meal. Uh, uh, and so... Uh, these people are all homeless and living in the woods across from Kitsap Mental Health at the time. Mm -hmm. And so uh, one of the, after doing this many times, picking up these people, this one, uh, one very nice man uh, who always tried to get in the front seat of the van where Willow was, and Willow would jump into his lap. So he's got this dog in his, <laughs> in his lap as we're going to the church dinner. And after many times of doing that, he finally said to me one day, he said, you know, having you pick me up and have Willow jump into my lap is the best day, best moment of my whole week. Wow. 
He said, I'm, I, I look forward to seeing your dog and petting her as we, as we go to the church den. Mm -hmm. So she also, uh, I mean, everybody knew her in town. Everybody knew Richard and Willow <laughs> after a period of time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and so that was her, she was my lifeline in many cases. In fact, I have a portrait done by uh, Alan Newberg, who is a, a well-known artist in Kitsap County, that he drew, well, not, well, he did, he painted it, actually. It has uh, the frame of this portrait, which now hangs on my, above my fireplace, is a picture of me jumping off the bridge with a lifeline coming down from the, with the willow up on top. Oh, wow. Uh, at the Tacoma Bridge, where, as you yep. know, yep. I tried to take my life. Yep. And so, yes, that was my lifeline, and he saw that. Uh, and uh, so that whole process of, of willow keeping me alive, uh, people knew her. Uh, and then when I started writing notes a lot, they saw me writing notes like at lunch at the Salvation Army or mm -hmm. breakfast at the Salvation Army, writing long hand notes. They said, what you doing? I said, well, I'm, I'm writing a book. And they said, am I going to be in it? <laughs> Are you going to put me in it? And I said, yeah, you're going to be in it. You're going to be in it. Oh, boy. You know? uh, so there was rather excitement about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but there also, it takes a long time to write a book, particularly yep. when you're writing it. On the street. On the street. <laughs> Right, you don't have a computer, and you're typing it from a typewriter that you Was got. that your kind of your dream? Was I'm getting out of this? I won't be homeless forever. You know, was there a goal you're shooting for, a timeline, or just your memoirs you're taking? Deep, deep down inside, uh, there was no, uh, there was, uh, there was really no purpose, if you will, mm -hmm. in a way, uh, except the fact that I said to myself, people need to know about this. Yeah, people need to see this. That's the reason I'm still hoping for a movie of this book. <laughs> yeah. You never know. Yeah, What's well, possible? You never I know. know. Yeah, yeah. It's been four years ago. A very well-known film director uh, tried to get it done by Sony Pictures and uh, uh, couldn't. Uh, and so uh, he tried really hard too. He went down there many times uh, to Sony, and they uh, bought they bought twelve copies of my book, The, the Decision Makers. And uh, the thing he couldn't get done was a good screenplay. That, and you have to have, uh, Sony told him, you gotta have a, for us to make a movie, you gotta have a great screenplay. They read the book, all 12 decision makers, and all 12 said, yes, we want a movie of this, but he didn't get him a good screenplay, and therefore, it fell apart at that time. Uh, but Never some, say never. <laughs> well, yeah, that, as I said just a few minutes ago, uh, I still remain, uh, it still remains an issue because people will talk about homeless people as yeah. bums and uh, drunks and alcoholics and uh, drug users and they're throwing needles all around, they're all terrible people and there are some people who have tremendous Take advantage of that situation. Yeah, yeah. They have tremendous addictions. Definitely. Yeah. And once they're on, once they get that addiction with some of those needles and stuff like that, it is not. And the economy is not getting any easier at all. No, I work two jobs. You know, a lot. Of, I'm sure a lot of people out there are working right. two, three, four jobs right. just to make ends meet, put food on the table. Many of the people I have met through through my book or other other ways have gone through tough times themselves. Mm -hmm. Some of them are quote alcoholics. I'll tell it to you, and they've been going to AA meetings long before my book was out, <laughs> and still are yeah, yeah, right. because uh, that's the only way they can stop drinking. Right. You know. Uh, any kind of issue where it comes along where they might, uh, uh, you know, something bad happens, they get sick, or they're somebody, some issue in their, a trigger, they call it. Okay. Uh, 
that they may have been, they may have not had alcohol for five years, but the trigger comes. Right, right. Husband says, I'm leaving you, honey. Uh, that trigger says, I gotta have a drink. I gotta, <laughs> you know, I gotta have something to ease this pain. Right. Uh, and so knowing all those issues and how that goes is something that I've learned. And I could, and again, I could have told you then that there'll be more people on drugs because our society has become more and more complicated in, in that way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's true today. Uh, what, where are our children, and I say our children, that are 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 20 years, where are they going to get a home yeah. in Seattle? Yeah. They, they gotta, three adult kids still live with me. I'm like, where are they gonna, they're working and I'll help pay rent. That's I mean, right. I'm renting a house. And, and I don't believe any politicians can fix that unless that politician can say, okay, we're gonna we're gonna have homes now that are affordable. That somebody <laughs> somebody making twenty five dollars an hour can afford. Yeah, right. Yeah. I have you know I had a friend owned a, a, a chain of restaurants, a hamburger, and he and he said to me when he hired people he says I had people come I put an ad in the paper uh, people came in and and they said uh, can would you like to work at my, I like to work at your restaurant and I said do you are you married Yeah. Uh, you got an apartment? Yeah, we, we do now. Well, you have to realize if you're going to work for me, you're going to, and this was, you're going to make $15 an hour, or $14 an hour, or $12, or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. Your wife has got to make money. You both have to make be working full time. Otherwise, I can't hire you because if I do, within a couple months, you're going to disappear. Right. And then I got to hire somebody else. Yeah. So I want to hire somebody. I want to, uh, so that, that was the process. Gotcha. So I learned all that. Uh, through through the through my growth. Uh, in our conversations of getting prepared for this, you mentioned Willow's Mission in Dunkirk, New York. Yeah, there's a sure about that a little bit. Yeah, well, one one of the first uh, one of the first things that was uh, most gratifying uh, of the writing the book and having it get out into the world uh, was uh, a woman in Dunkirk, New York, uh, read my book, uh, and she was. A, part of a church, uh, and she, after she read it, she was so moved, she went to her congregation on a Sunday, and she told me, I've never, I've never stood up in front of my, my church congregation, she said, <laughs> she said, I took your book and I held it up and I said, everybody needs to read this book. We, ha we have no homeless shelter here in Dunkirk. We need to have one. And uh, she got, uh, she pushed it, pushed, she got her friends involved, and uh, they opened up a shelter. Uh, it was it was really funny how the call came in. I was at, I just got back from speaking in uh, Maine, a uh, speaking event, uh, uh, and a book signing in uh, Maine. Uh, and the day I got back, uh, the phone rang, and this lady was on the phone. She said, she said, introduce yourself, and she said, I would love to have you come to our church. She said, uh, we're just opening a homeless mission. And she said, I did it because of your book. And she said, wow. uh, 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 Dunkirk is right on, Dunkirk is, is a town of about 11,000 people, which is right on Lake Erie, butts up against another little town called Fredonia, so it's a, which is about 9,000 people. So they have 20,000 people, we'll say, there uh, with no shelter. So if you get into trouble there, you're off to Buffalo, uh, which uh, is all, it's cold. cold <laughs> and, uh, so people have frozen to death. Wow. On the there. streets, yeah, yeah. They've frozen to death in Dunkirk. Wow. 
you know. Uh, she told me. And so she said, I opened this mission. And she said, well, could you come and speak? And I did. And the Buffalo newspaper was there. The uh, Buffalo TV station was there. They had a cake uh, made, uh, had Willow's picture on it. <laughs> And so that's how that was the first of actually seven homeless type of missions that were opened uh, across the country. Wow. Uh, and so uh, Willow's legacy lives on. Yeah. Uh, so not only has she helped Richard Lemieux, but her she has helped other people that. Uh, yeah, you never met right, before. That's right. Yeah. Another uh, program in Dun uh, Kent, Washington called Willow's Place was started because a woman read the book. And so uh, what I often find is people will read my book and, and they'll become emotionally moved, mm -hmm. which is good. That can dissipate pretty quickly yeah. uh, because of the way our lives are nowadays. Yep. Short attention spans. And we're busy, busy, busy. <laughs> busy, busy. Got their own family to take care of. Why should it bother taking yeah. care of anybody else? But it has happened and it will how happen did, again. How did people treat you when you were homeless? We well, see a lot of people get misconceptions right. of people you know, on the side of the corner holding a sign, need right. food. You know, or, you know, it can right. be, it's a wide variety of, of yeah, well, I've, I've begged in front of grocery stores. I've begged in front of Central Market in Paulsville, mm -hmm. uh, where I had spent, oh gosh, uh, probably a good two or three hundred thousand dollars over a ten or twelve year period. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, uh, and so I begged in front of there and they chased me away. Uh, I also, uh, uh, I went from, uh, begged in front of Albertsons at, uh, there in, uh, uh, when it was Albertsons there, mm -hmm. and uh, people, uh, some people would come and say, once you get a effing job, you know, you need an effing job, you know, what are you doing in front of here begging for money? Get a job, like I got. Uh, I went to different churches, uh, knocked on their door. Uh, I, walked, I knocked on one door uh, at a big church in Bremerton. Uh, actually, I rang the bell because they had a little bell there. It says, if no one, doors locked, ring a bell. Mm -hmm. A lady came to the door and I said, uh, I told her, I said, I'm homeless and I'm looking for help. And she said, uh, she looked at me and I could just tell she was disgusted. Uh, uh, and said, no, we, we don't have any money for homeless people. Uh, wow. I went to another big church. And I went in they were into their office, and the, the uh, person there, uh, uh, the, a woman, I told her, and she gave me $20. And she said, well, if you come back on Sunday, you can talk to the minister, which I did. And they, uh, after the service was over, they, uh, the trustees of the church met uh, and, uh, with me, and I told them my story and the issues involved. Uh, and they uh, said, okay. They said, well, look, we're going to give you $20, but don't ever come back here again. Uh, to that, to, with all that said, I've had a lot of that. Right. But I also had help. Uh, and, and for example, the, uh, not far from here, there's that Methodist church up the street up here. Uh, they had, uh, because a woman uh, read my book uh, again, she got her friends involved and they went to the pastor of the Methodist church there and mm -hmm. said that uh, they wanted to use the kitchen to help make food for the homeless. Wow. And it turned into a every night, every Tuesday night meal uh, uh, where they had a, over, sometimes over a hundred people that they would feed in that church. 
not all homeless, of course, but it turned into a great community meeting. Right. So the homeless got fed, and people who were older that never that had to make a choice between, do I get my medicine, or do I have food? Yeah. Which is the one. So they ended up getting a wonderful sit-down meal every Tuesday night. And after that was over, often they got what they call to-go. So they got food to-go, okay. so they had a meal the next day. Right, right. Uh, and they also had, gave them loaves of bread, and pies and all that because <laughs> that they that they had gone to Safeway and uh, uh, what's this what's across the street there's a grocery uh, uh, outlet there yeah there's a yeah. bunch of places yeah. where they gave them would give them fruit food okay uh, and uh, so uh, they knew that was a, a holy a holy food I think they called it a hollowed ground okay. I think that's what it's called and, it, and now they're still doing it but right now they're still handing out food at the door gotcha because of COVID, so. You got to a point in your life where you didn't feel life was worth living. You, you, had, you got to a point where you, there was no hope, there was no faith, there was no nothing left. And it, it, you end up being on the Tacoma Nares Bridge. It was a pretty high bridge. People had never been on it before. Yeah. Can you share about that? That's from the time you parked your car right. and the time you returned to your car. That's right. Well, uh, before I became homeless, I never ever thought that I would have any suicidal thoughts of any kind. Uh, and the depression of being on the street uh, after uh, six to seven months was enough for me to slowly but surely uh, realize that life, life was not worth living. And the reason would be is because I wanted to get back all the things I lost. And that is often the thought pattern that leads to suicidal thoughts. Mm -hmm. Uh, I wanted the one of the wife back. I wanted the money back. I wanted the cars back. I wanted the trips back. I wanted the business back. I wanted the respect back. Yeah. I wanted all the human emotions, and they weren't coming. And it took me about seven months to realize they're gone. They're gone, never to right. be returned. Right, right. Uh, and so it was basically right around Christmas time uh, that I decided that I would take my life. Uh, this and is 2002, correct? 2002. Uh, I was living in my uh, car with my dog Willow, and uh, I thought, this is no life for a dog, too. Uh, this is, this is going to be our life now. I'm going to go begging everywhere, uh, and uh, I don't want to do that. And I should, my dog should have a family. My dog should have somebody, but I wasn't going to drop her off at the, at the pound. At the pound. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I thought, well, here's what I'm going to do. So uh, at Christmas Eve of that year, I, I decided I'd go to the Comaneros Bridge, which I did. At that time, no, only one bridge there. Yep. And there was, there was down below, there was a little road, you go off the bridge, there, there was a little observation area down below, which I drove down to. And then I put uh, a, uh, a note on the front dash of my car, a big piece of paper saying, this is my dog Willow. When you find her, please love her and take care of her. And then I left the window down. So I had a bowl of water and a bowl of food on the floorboards. <clears throat> and then I closed the door, left it open, but the window's down a little bit. And then I walked out to get up to the end of my life. And so, I don't know if you've ever been on that, walked on that bridge or not. Never have walked it. I've crossed it a few times, but never yeah. have walked it. <laughs> yeah. 
if you go out there, you'll you'll feel the the, the bridge. Yep. There's a lot of vibrations, vibrations, yeah, yeah. and noise. Yep. And so, I got out there far enough to know that I, if I jumped from there, I would end my life. And so, I put my hands on the rail, and uh, at that, at, and with all that noise and cars going by and the bridge making noise, I could hear my dog barking. Wow. Right. Now that barking started as soon as I left the car. <laughs> okay. And so she knew something was up. She's like, well, something's going down here that we've never not been cool. here before. He's leaving right. me here. There's, there's nobody around. Dog senses are kicking in. Right. There's nobody around. And uh, where's he going? You know. And so she's barking and barking and barking. So I get out there far enough where I can't. I can't hear her barking. Okay. I can't hear her barking. But when I put my hands on the rail, I could hear her barking. Okay. I could hear the noise. I could hear over all the noise. All I could hear was her barking. Everything kind of drowned out. All you heard was the barking. That's it. Wow. That was, that's it. I could hear nothing but her barking. And so I thought, I, I can't do this. I, I've got to get back and take care of her. You know, I can't leave her there. And so I pushed myself back and literally ran off that bridge back to my van and opened that door and she jumped in my arms. And I knew at that time there was no way that I could take my life. You know, no way. It couldn't happen. Right. I had this dog to take care of. She loved me. She's worth living. And so that's how that night happened. Uh, and the next morning, uh, I uh, drove back to Bremerton and, and uh, began the process of trying to uh, figure out how, what was going to be next. You know, uh, and I, 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 I knew one thing: I, I wasn't going to die. You know, and that uh, is. Is that when Willow became Willow the Wonder Dog? That's when she became Willow. <laughs> every time I introduced her, every time we got in the car, took homeless people, we went to a meal or wherever it was, uh, uh, that I, I, I'd always say, that's Willow the Wonder Dog, and she would jump in somebody's lap who was in the driver's seat, uh, and she became Willow the Wonder Dog wherever we go. So right. she often would be talked about. You know, if I went to the Salvation Army for lunch and new, new people came in, uh, uh, people would say, "That's Richard there, and uh, he's got that dog in his car called Willow. Willow the Wonder Dog." <laughs> and so uh, we became we became quite famous with the homeless people in, in Bremerton, Washington. Do you know it was? And, and and because of that, when I started writing a book, uh, as I said before, people wanted to know if they were going to be in it. Right. And after a long time, I mean, you're talking about three years of writing, pretty much. You know. Wow. Uh, two plus, almost nine months or something like that. There, there were some people who thought. Well, you know, one woman said to me one day. She said, "You know, Richard, you're really not writing a book, are you? And uh, because you just want to be better than everybody else. You just want to tell people you're writing a book." And I said, "No, I really am writing a book." <laughs> and uh, it wasn't until after the book came out. Uh, and it'd be a big splash because uh, it was in the Kitsap Sun and, mm -hmm. you know, it was in the New York Times, it was uh, in the Boston Globe newspaper, it was in San Francisco papers across the country, this man who wrote this book. I was even in National Examiner. Wow. You can find it clear back then. Uh, a few years ago. <laughs> yeah. And, and so uh, 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 this woman came to me one day and she said, you know, after all this, she said, I'm so sorry I, I questioned you about your book, that you were writing a book. She said, she said, I just couldn't believe it. And 
And, I, and she said, I also didn't ever believe it would happen. And so I said, yeah, I, I said, there, I have my doubts myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we mentioned, we talked a little bit offline before in the conversation. You said Willow had passed. Yeah. Uh, how, how was that transition? How long did you have her, first of all? Well, altogether, she died when she was 13. 13. Right. Uh, and she, uh, when she died, the, the Methodist Church in Bremerton had a service oh, wow. for her. That's all. And people I had met, uh, the, the public relations director of uh, Microsoft, where I'd spoke, she came, the mayor came, uh, uh, lots of politicians uh, came, and friends and church members. And so and during that time period, it was really a struggle for me because mm -hmm. she had gone. But by then, I was in an apartment, see, and by then... Your life had taken a, a, right. a 180, really. From and I, so the thing is, she had, uh, she had a carcinoma on her lungs. Okay. And so I tried to keep her alive, uh, of course, uh, for me. Uh, but, you know, I often tell people when, they, when their dogs get sick and, and they have to go, mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, the pain is over. Right. So her pain was over, and I finally realized that it was time for her to go to dog right. heaven, right, right, uh, and to tell all the dogs and people in heaven about breakfast <laughs> right. and salad. There you go, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, and again, you know, you're talking about a dog that's pretty damn famous. Yeah. Uh, you know, in this Korean edition. Careful, of, careful she'll get a movie before you will. <laughs> that's right. In this Korean edition of this book. Oh wow. Which, you know, there she is, yeah. right there on the cover. Yeah. You know, right there. And in this, in this book, uh, at the bottom of every page, you'd, you'd be hard to see, but it's there. You see, uh, oh, little, yep. <laughs> and this book is from Korea. They That's... printed this in Korea. And I got it in the mail, uh, which I didn't know they were even doing it. How many translations do you have printed of your book? Well, this one in, in okay. English, of Two? course. Okay. But, this, uh, but, you know, I got it was, it was signed by the, uh, the uh, Republic of Korea, the Council General, who, who, oh, wow. had, who had read the book. And so, uh, you know, not only is that done, but the, the book has spawned and inspired people to do things that they wouldn't normally do. Right. Uh, did I know that when I was writing it? Uh, somewhere deep inside... Uh, I think God had his hand on that, pushing you along the God, way. Yeah. Just kind of encouraging you not to yeah. quit, keep right. moving forward, yeah, and I mean, inspire others. Right, because, you know, uh, in, in my book, uh, I, you know, when I really got in, inside where I could really work on it. I lived in a church, the Methodist Church in, in Bremerton for nine months. And there, I, in the kitchen every night, I was writing, you know, every night on a typewriter. Typewriter, yeah. Right. And so I got my book going faster. Right, so, right. I'm curious to know, who, what was the feedback when you received when you got your book written out, written and published? You get a lot of positive feedback, I'm, I'm assuming. Oh, yeah. I mean, when it first came out, uh, as, as I said, you know, speaking to me in Columbus, Ohio, uh, I'm replacing the woman that was uh, fell down and broke her leg. She she was uh, uh, she was the, the, the heavy. I try to remember her name. She's uh, the heavy set black lady that was a star on the movie called Touched by an Angel. Okay. And oh yeah. So, yeah. I, I, what is her name? Della Reese. That's her. She was going to be the speaker. And, and another funny that story. That came out of nowhere, by the way. <laughs> that's right. She was going to be the speaker for that big Salvation Army fundraising event in Columbus, Ohio, in which I end up subbing. Oh, wow. You know? Now, of course, Della Reese, was, everybody knew Della Reese, but uh, uh, so they, 
they gave me a check for $2,500 okay. after I spoke. But uh, one of the things that's really funny is that the, the public the public relations person for the Salvation Army in Columbus, Ohio, uh, uh, who had arranged, arranged to have John Glenn introduce me, All right. she said, boy, she said, I was really surprised how good you were. She said, you were better than Della, I bet. <laughs> and I said, well, thank you. She said, and we were going to pay her 35000 <laughs> Wow. And I thought, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I got the gyps I got the 2000 <laughs> Five hundred. You gonna pay her through? Oh, and I realized she's got the notoriety. So, did you ever realize how impactful your book could be? It's it still is. Still is. Right. Uh, right. Right. It's just as relevant. Especially uh, in society. Right. And and one of the things I should tell you about that uh, real quickly is that uh, I I still am speaking on a, a school. So I go to schools, high schools to speak, colleges to speak. Uh, and and the my my most my greatest impact, if you want to call it that, the thing I, I see the most is that in my group mission is that uh, I have over two thousand letters from high school students. Wow! Uh, from high schools, not only uh, all the kids have high schools here, but also where I speak at classes. Mm -hmm. But high school like uh, Capital High School in Olympia, uh, and. Uh, Interlake High School in Bellevue, and what happens is the school gets a class set of books. The students read it and then ask me, and then I come and speak, and then they and I ask them to write me a letter, okay. not on the computer, but handwritten, hand right, right, right. handwritten, just like yeah. I wrote this old, book. Old hand school handwritten, right. right? And so I get uh, uh, I get letters, two thousand of those uh, plus, and so uh, uh, just a. Just a real quick, I won't read this whole letter, but this is one of 2,500 here. <laughs> this one says, reading your book is like reading no other book I have ever read. The stories that you have in your book touch me to my deepest levels. This is a high school student. Wow. I have come to the realization that I have the deepest compassion for homeless people. I am going to do my very best not to become homeless myself. I'm going to try to do good in school. I think that your story is wonderful, and I think that you uh, <laughs> have had a very amazing journey. Keep going. There you go. All right. So um, you've done speaking engagements all over the world, and when someone reaches out to you to talk, to share your story, do you kind of take a step back, going? Is this real? Are you, are you pitching yourself still today of, of the impact this book has made in people's lives? Yeah, very much so. It, it is a, a, a it's a very humbling process. Uh, the the natural tendency is for the ego to say, "Wow, this is cool," and and I try not to say how wonderful it is. I mean, this has become this has become, and I've had people ask me this: that Would you? Would you, if you, if I was a wizard and I could send you back to your home with all the things you had before, the three boats, and the cars, and the trips, which would you take? That or what you're doing today? I say I would take what I'm doing today, uh, even though I'm not a rich man. I don't make a lot of money, uh, but what I do is important. Right. And and I, and I know it has changed lives where nothing wrong with being rich, nothing wrong with having all those things, uh, but 
this is this book and the things that go with it are the only meaningful thing I've ever done in my life. Wow. The rest was all about me. Yep. Right? And, and it was all about me. Had a car, get what I want, go here, go there, take care of my family. Which is good, nothing wrong with all that. But in terms of something meaningful, uh, this, this is it. This, this is good as, that's as good as it gets. You know? This is kind of why I did the podcast. Uh, really, my goal was to encourage people. Yeah. Any way I could. Meeting right. people, talking to people, musicians, comedians. Everyone has a story. That's right. And how your story impacts someone, you'll never know. You're planting seeds. Right. And that, I just think it's so critical today. Everyone has a story to share. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and the thing is, people don't know. Uh, putting yourself in somebody else's shoes is an old saying, you know, mm-hmm. it goes clear back to the Indian, yep. uh, you put yourself in another person's moccasins. Uh, so it's really difficult to understand the issue in a, in a country that has so much wealth uh, that we have people living on our streets, you know. Um, people, people in other countries look at that and say, you know, wow, you know, why do you, why do you have so many people living on your streets, and uh, and 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 there, are, there are reasons. There are some people that that because of certain circumstances, what is going on in their life, uh, they don't want any contact with any human being. Actually, if it's up to them, mm-hmm. uh, so it's hard to get the hardcore homeless man or woman off the street, particularly if they have some sort of mental health issues, and we understand that. But there are so many, though, that I always say the same thing nowadays, that the best thing you can do to help homelessness is to make sure that nobody becomes homeless, because when the first time that happens to them, that's 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 a, a hard road yeah. for, for many people. They'll never end up in a good situation. Yep. Uh, and so, but that's it. And and but it, and that's the problem today, is that it was a problem when I be, first became homeless. It's still a problem today. When you f- first became homeless and you go looking for help, it's hard to find. Right, right. Uh, the resources now to help homelessness uh, people get off the streets and get the help they need, food stamps and food and stuff like that. There's some of that. Okay. Uh, and there's some issues. There's sometimes, uh, but. And I will say that, like for example, in Kitsap County, is better off than say Kent or Renton or some other places for taking care of their homeless, mm-hmm. because over the past years there has been a, a, a spotlight shining on what needs to be done. All right. And I can proudly say some of that is because of my book. Right. As we wrap up, uh, any words of encouragement from someone out there who's kind of who's going through those hard times and the verge of homelessness and the finances going through the roof. Right. Any words of encouragement? I always say the same thing. Uh, never give up. Never give up. Uh, try and over and over again, try and try and try uh, to find your place where you can work with people uh, that can help. Uh, and that comes from, you know, never giving up, uh, finding a church maybe, a church group maybe, uh, just like tonight's going to be cold, oh. so there's a cold weather shelter, 
And while you're there at the cold weather shelter, uh, which is in a church in most, in most cases, uh, the people that are there, ask them, uh, have, you, have you got a, a job I could do? Have you got something I could do where I can make a little money? Right, right. Uh, uh, maybe clean the church or, uh, you know, what, do your lawn or uh, do something. And sometimes you'll find a person that really can help you, uh, particularly if they see that you're trying. Uh, and, and I believe, again, I, I believe in our, in our country, uh, in our county, in our city, uh, we can get every single homeless person off the street. It can't happen. Even those that are really hardcore with needles, it can't happen. It takes a lot of work, and the, the people that have mental health issues and or drug addiction, those are the hardest ones to help. Yeah. Yeah. And but, and it could have been me if, if I hadn't lucked out uh, in many ways, met, meeting people, and ended up living in a church for a while. I would, uh, you, I wouldn't be here today. Right. Yeah. But thanks so much for the time and meeting me for coffee and. And I wish you nothing but the best to continue success in your book and sharing your story. And this is Richard Lemieux, Breakfast and Sally's Chit Chat. Thank you to Richard Lemieux today for having a fun conversation with me, sharing about his book, Breakfast at Sally's. And it's really encouraging. He showed me his book, uh, his first one he got printed, and it's just full of autographs people who have met him along the way who have read his book and have heard about him and and the inspiration he's making on people and they've signed his book he asked me to sign his book as well so there john glenn signed it and many many others it's really really cool i also asked him at the end uh offline uh has he able to reconcile with his wife and with his family and he has his kids all over locally and he has grandkids now and uh I think that was really, really cool that he that be able to do that. Uh, he is his book is as impacting people, and you can find his book, order his book on Amazon and Target and Walmart, and, and uh, truly an inspirational book. And he's working on writing another one. I think we could have talked another hour or so, but it was a great. I just love talking with him, hearing his heart, and where he's been to, and where he's been through, and and just. Uh, such a, a powerful story. Maybe one day uh, his, his book will be on the big screen. This is Jody Sheffield, host of Chit Chat, the encouraging one of the podcast. What it's always about, you got it, encouraging others. Are you craving tacos? You know what? It doesn't have to be Tuesday to have tacos. You got tacos any day of the week. At TaquizaTacoShop.com. That's T-A-Q-U-I-Z-A. TacoShop.com. They have five kinds of tacos. Delicious tacos. As well as chimichangas and burritos and grilled jalapenos. My favorite. Their food's fresh, authentic, made daily. They're locally owned and operated here in Silverdale, Washington. They got a food truck and a Facebook page. You can go online and check out their amazing menu. Getting you hungry? You can place an order today at 360-698-4335 or you can stop by 
and check out their address. It's 10315 Silverdo Way, Washington. And as I said, it's authentic, it's fresh, and five kinds of tacos. Delicious. That's Takiza. TakizaTacoShop.com. Every day is a day for tacos. Are you craving donuts? Not those one bite and done donuts that's been sitting on your local grocery store shelf for who knows how long donuts. No, sir. Lone Star Donuts here in Silverdale, Washington has over 50 flavors of donuts and other pastry items as well. These donuts are huge, fluffy, and delicious. So why not stop by and check out Lone Star Donuts? Or you can call them and place your order at 360-204-5021. Lone Star Donuts, the only kind of donut to have. I can't wait for my next guest next week as I get to talk to an inspirational woman who is doing amazing things missing something that we take for granted she has no arms here's a short video about Jessica Cox born without any arms the words I can't are it's just an excuse for giving up Ever since I was a kid, people always doubted what I could do. I think limits are just meant to be overcome. Jessica is most famous for being the first armless pilot in aviation history to fly using only their feet. She also has an unrestricted driver's license. She's a certified scuba diver. She has a bachelor's degree in psychology. She's a third degree black belt in Taekwondo and certified trainer. She's pretty unstoppable. When people see me, they immediately look at the fact that I don't have arms. And I think there's a parallel with the way people see challenges. They immediately see either the difficulty or the impossibility. We're actually early for once. <laughs> I never felt pity for myself. That was one thing I never did. I felt angry and I felt frustrated about my birth condition. There wasn't a specific moment for me when it turned from being an angry, frustrated girl to a woman with confidence. It was just a journey. It was little things that happened along the way. Uh, the first day of eighth grade, I was 14, and I decided to give up my fake arms, which I wore to school for 11 years. But the moment I made that decision to leave them behind and finally accept who I am, that for me was a huge step to understand that it's, it's not about how people respond to me, it's how I carry myself.
there's something I want to do, I don't think about the process. I think of the end result. She's constantly adapting and finding new ways to do things. As early as I can remember, I've had to prove myself. It's something I'm prepared to do. Over, through, and pull to tighten. And just like that, I tied my your shoes, shoes with your feet. <laughs> after a couple hundred tries, figured out the importance of thinking outside the shoe. From the moment she was born at the hospital, I'll say it like this. Her little round eyes would just look like she's going to attack the world, you know. And she had been attacking it ever since. Some of the things in my life and challenges I've had to fight for. As a result of the doubt that remains in people's minds as to whether I can safely and appropriately conduct myself in the way that people in a two-handed world would. I had to fight to have an unrestricted driver's license because I wanted to drive an unmodified vehicle. I have to have the ability to just pick up a rental car anywhere because during my speaking engagements, I'm in cities all over the world. There are encounters that I have with people in the public who aren't always comfortable with someone who's different. And I use it as an opportunity to show them that it's okay to be different and everyone's different. And we just have to be confident in our differences. Jessica is there to constantly be a reminder of don't let assumptions of people who don't understand what you're capable of hold you back. If I hear people use the words, I can't, I like to remind them that those words will limit you. If you can stop yourself from saying those words, you would be surprised at what's possible. I can't wait to talk with her and get her amazing story here on the Chit and Chat Encouraging One Another podcast. What's always about encouraging others. This is my good friend Joel Gibson Jr. called The Gift. And you can check out his website at joelgibsonjrmusic.com.
Gibson Jr., The Gift. Thank you so much for being part of the Chit and Chat Encouraging One Another Family. As I share stories from people all around the world, music, and if I can encourage one person out there, that's all that matters to me. Thank you so much for the many listeners who, who popped us home when they're driving, uh, stuck in traffic, who are maybe working. Um, it, it's by no means a perfect podcast. I have uh, some editing issues sometimes, and, and it just things happen. But you can guarantee that this podcast speaks 
from the heart, hopefully to your heart. And uh, just want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. This is Chit and Chat, the encouraging one other podcast. It's all about encouraging others.